everybody. It's Movie Geeks United. A little bit later on the show, uh, like in about 10 minutes, we'll be joined by Adam Long, who will run down the Blu-rays from the past one or two months. 10 minutes? That's so pretty soon. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's pretty soon. I mean, because I don't, I mean, I've got a lot to say, but I mean, I, I don't think anyone will really give a shit. But I mean, you know, bring out Adam the sooner the better. I mean, uh, yeah. Can I st- can I start off this week? I just got finished. Uh, I'm hoping one of you have seen this, but I just got finished watching the first hour of Five Came Back. I I didn't discover to I mean, wanting to see it, you know, and I didn't see it uh, even more until last night. I, I watched the Discovery instead. So, and I wish I'd watched um, Five Came Back instead. But wow, it's it's really amazing, you know. In case you don't know what it is, it's a new three part. Uh, I guess it's a three hour documentary uh, that's being released on, on Netflix uh, and streaming, um, and. Uh, it tells the story of the five um, major uh, World War II era filmmakers um, that went to the war front and uh, filmed, uh, you know, groundbreaking documentary footage of the war, uh, um, you know, kind of forsaking their successful lives in Hollywood and uh and uh really uh using their art form to uh to help frame the war for for Americans and for the world uh um so in the film which is by Laurent Bouzereau, uh who we know of as being somebody who does a lot of you know DVD extras documentaries and so forth but he's done this uh based on the book by Mark Harris the guy who wrote uh mm-hmm. pictures at the Revolution, uh, uh, who also writes the the documentary as well, uh, and we've got uh, so we've got uh, Steven Spielberg commenting on William Wyler. Uh, we've got uh, Francis Ford Coppola commenting on um, John Huston. Um, uh, I guess we have Guillermo del Toro commenting on Frank Capra. Uh, Paul Greengrass um, commenting on, uh, I think it's, uh, here's where I get fuzzy. Uh, George Stevens? George Stevens. Hmm. And uh, Lawrence Kasdan, who's uh, commenting on uh, 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 John Ford. Mm-hmm. So, so you can already see this is just like a confluence of like, <laughs> it's a ridiculous confluence of like movie love and documentary love because yeah. it's really also a movie about kind of the beginnings of American documentary filmmaking in some ways, uh, and uh, uh, and then of course the love of history and you know the the you know ah it's just uh it's just mm-hmm. astounding. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I definitely want to check it out. I put it. I, I when it, this is this dropped on Friday, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I should mention it's narrated by Meryl Streep, which is something I didn't know going in, and it's got a great score by uh, Thomas Newman. So, uh, right, I mean, sure. it's pretty. It's a pretty pedigreed uh, project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely. Uh, it's. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be something that's going to be eligible for the Oscar later on. Uh, you know, 
next year or whatever. Why wouldn't it be eligible for the Oscar well, out of curiosity? I, I, you know, I don't know if they're giving it a theatrical run. Uh, uh, so, I mean, that's that's the thing you need to to be eligible. So I, I just don't know if they're doing that or if they're just treating it as as something that's television. Or I, I really don't know. The lines were so blurred here that uh, you know I I I just don't know. But uh, well, it's def- I, definitely Emmy Emmy worthy. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, no no question about it. Uh, it would be hard to ignore, uh, but uh, it, it is just. I mean, I'm only again. I'm only an hour in, but you know that's all I need to, to know. Right, right, right. But no, no. It's this is something that we're all looking forward to. I mean, I didn't. And, you know, if I would have known, like we watched the Discovery late last night. That then the one with Robert Redford and Rooney Mara that just oh, right. dropped on. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what to say about it. I. I really, unless said. What is it? What is it? I so forget. Robert Redford plays a, um, plays someone who they, they've discovered basically there is an afterlife. Oh yes, there is yeah. an afterlife. Um, so I'll just that's all I I think I really need to say to sell it, but I I just don't think you know when you watch it when you're done with it you're just like okay that's I hate to say it but it's kind of what you expect. Once you're watch, you know, as you watch it, and you watch it unfold, and the way you, the, the, and the way it's resolved and everything, you're just mm. like, okay, that's what I pretty much expected. Jason Segel too, right? Jason Segel, who's very good, by the way. Who, all the performances are good. It's just very underwhelming. I hate to say that, but I know this is something that was was this Sundance or South by Southwest. I, I, I think it was a Sundance thing. Okay, you know, I you know, I got God bless Netflix because I you know that's gonna be, I think Netflix and on demand are really where independent film is gonna, yeah, be for the yeah. next the next decade. I think. I agree. I think that's, we talked about that last week or the week before, but I really do think so. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting film, but I just think it's one that just sort of leaves you at the end. You're just like, okay, that's kind of what I thought. You know, that's kind of how I thought it would end up. You know, there's no great answers or anything, and there can't be, but there are some good performances. But you know, it seems like we're, I'm I'm getting my film really mad. That's for sure. So I can't be I can't be unhappy. She is absolutely off. everywhere. I mean, she's yeah, got I two more movies coming out. <laughs> she's got. I a, can't be unhappy as a fan, so I, I have to take you know I, I have to be grateful for what I'm getting right now. Um, but, uh, but she's got uh, what is it? She's got this uh, sort of wartime thing coming out called the Secret Scripture. Is that what it? Uh, Ooh, oh, I don't know. It's not a wartime thing. It's a uh, she gets a she uh, she plays a woman. It, it takes place like in the forties or fifties. It's a Jim Sheridan movie. Uh, oh, who, uh, wow! Who starts to display uh, signs that she might be, you know, mentally ill. Which in that era could have been something like not cooking your dinner for your husband or something. That's, but, that's uh, true. That's you know, that's true. But uh, uh, and she gets uh, put in a mental hospital, and uh, so so it's I guess it's I guess it's going to be kind of a snake pity sort of kind of thing. But uh, uh, if you've ever seen the snake pit, that's a great one. But yeah, um, yeah, wow, okay. But she's got that, and then she's of course got the uh, ghost story, the new David yeah, Lowry movie. Yeah, that looks really good. I got it. That, that, that looks really, really good. That trailer was very impressive. It was um, def- definitely with uh, with Casey Affleck and 
that's that looks like that's going to be something else. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's already shaping up to be a very very great movie year. Uh, when when you can have get to March and say, wow, there is some really good stuff coming up. You know, I mean, yes, there's a lot of trash. I watched a, I watched a ton of trashy, <clears throat> you know, big temple, uh, uh, you know. Trailers yesterday via Facebook on the big screen, and uh, the, every every successive one, and I'm including Guardians of the Galaxy two in this, by the way. Just look, which looks better than the others? But oh, it looks a lot just, better, Dean. Dean, let's be honest, that looks a lot better than the others. It looks fun. I mean, if it, anything, it looks like it's fun. It, it, it I mean, does, but it, but it looks like it's messing with what made the the other the first one. That's. I mean, I'm not, I I, you know, there's an argument. You have a very valid argument there. Is you it going to hit that height? I am not sure. Uh, or, or is it going to become the thing that it was supposed to be kind of an antidote against? So, right, right. But, but I mean, you know, I mean, the Pirates of the Caribbean and and oh, oh God. that that god awful Guy Ritchie King Arthur movie that looks like the worst thing I could ever even conceive of, uh, and. Oh. Uh, just tons of bad stuff, but uh, but then there's also lots of great stuff, like uh, stuff that looks very very good, like uh, you know the new Dimitri Martin movie, his new movie, which is strangely enough called Dean. Uh, that looks uh, that looks very very good. Uh, Do you have a bias towards that movie, Dean? Well, I was just hoping it would look, be a good movie, but uh, <laughs> I, but I do have a bias for uh, Dimitri Martin, who I think is one of our most talented uh, stand-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could call him a stand-up, he, he's, I don't even know if he's really part of that world. He's like a, he's almost like through. I, I don't know. He's like a, uh, he's an actor as well as a, a, a comedian. But uh, hey, it, I, anyway. I witnessed something yesterday I have not witnessed. I don't know if I've ever witnessed a trailer getting a huge ovation in a theater. A trailer, not a movie, but a trailer. So we went to see The Zookeeper's Wife yesterday, which is okay. Not bad, not great, just sort of, you know, there. It looks it looks a little self-important to me. A it's, 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 it's like failed Oscar bait. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a trailer for an inconvenient sequel. Um, the Al Gore sequel to The Inconvenient Truth. I don't think I've ever been in a movie where a, tra- where a trailer gets an ov- a long ovation. It was weird. You know, really, though, I mean, <clears throat> I just can't get excited about it because uh, I already know that the uh, cl- climate is fucked and, uh, and it's going to be more of that. And uh, and it's going to leave you feeling worse when it's over because they'll have to address the Trump issue. Uh, well, yeah, uh, that's a big part I'm, of the trailer. I'm <laughs> sorry, but that's that's what you. It, it is going to do that, and and, yeah. and you know, uh, I, I don't want to get political on the show, but no, no, no. Uh, well, uh, but this is interesting. That that yeah. I've never, or not never. I've, it's been a long time since I've seen a trailer. Get like that uh, a reaction like that. Yeah, I know, but I, I, I that's that's just the. I think that's the, that audience patting itself on the back in some ways because because oh, I, of I, course, I'm, of course, I'm I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that that's going to be a notable film at all. 
But I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's just we've seen it already. We know. No, no, no. Of course we know. Of course. Yeah, I, mean, I could does, agree more with you. It, does, it doesn't mean more. it doesn't bear repeating, but uh, you know, I mean, of course it does. But but it's not even going to reach the audience that it's intended for. So, blah. No, no. Of course, <laughs> preaching to the choir. It's the epitome of preaching to the choir. That's why it got the uh, ovation. And it was preaching to the choir yesterday. No doubt about that. But uh, uh, hey, uh, speaking of trailers. Um, the trailer for it uh, set a record for the most views during a single day of any trailer oh, yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the record uh, holder before? Do we know? Probably Star Wars or something. Yeah, it was something. It was. Um, oh God, you would ask. I think it was like. <laughs> an I was just type. curious. But it, it was, was probably like Star Wars: Force Awakens. I would have to think. Yeah, the Star Wars trailer, but no. Dude, guys, this this movie. Um, if my if uh, my coworkers who are a lot younger than I am, the mini they didn't even know it was a miniseries. They just thought it was a movie that you could see on like you know, cable or something. Um, they people can't wait to see this movie. I mean, this is like really a big deal. I mean, this movie huge. That was another. It, it was well. another one of the quality trailers that I watched yesterday. Uh I mean the trailer the trailer looks good. I hope it does well. Uh so they make the other one. I mean I I always loved the book since I was a teenager, so and I know the faults of the book. I know that it's really overstuffed and obviously, but uh I like how he threw it's at everything but the kitchen sink book. I mean it's like how how many scary things can I throw in one book? Like I'll throw right, in right. Wolfman and all all this kind of stuff. So I'm excited to see how they realize that on screen. And by the way, I rewatched the first half of the Ed Mini series <clears throat> um, just out of curiosity. I don't know why people swear by the mini series. I, I guess it all stems from Tim Curry, who mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I, I, I mean he, he's good in the movie, but uh, I mean he plays it like a like. Pretty. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to hate me for saying this, but he he, he plays it pretty predictably, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But it's 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 a it's a horror miniseries restricted by the um, '90s kind of mentality, um, starring uh, the leads in WKRP in Cincinnati, The Waltons, <laughs> Night Court. <laughs> I mean, are you? Why are people <laughs> John Ritter, right? John Ritter. Yeah, but I mean, but, but 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 the younger generation, like people, like well, you know, the, the millennials don't even know what you're talking about. They only know them from it. Uh, so yeah, you of have, course, you would have to take that for what it is. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and I, I mean, I, I even is, told the guys at work, I was just like, you know, the miniseries you're talking about is not really. I mean. You know, I said, you know, this was, I realize this was very popular at its time, and it's not age well, but they swear by it. I mean, there are kids that I, they're, these guys yeah, in their late 20s, early 30s swear by it. I mean, well, quite I mean, frankly, you know, I'm surprised that they know the, they know the movie at all. Right? <laughs> because the movie itself yeah. was, was well, probably made before they were Well, they know it as a movie. They don't know it as a miniseries. They're so oh, they know yeah, it as like I'm a two-hour movie? Like no, a, they know it as, a, as something I guess you would 
How do I say this? Maybe watched on Netflix. What, I'm, what I'm, there. Yeah. I, okay. Go. Go what, for it. What, what I'm saying is. I understand that Night Court and WKRP and all that kind of – Three's Company, all that kind of stuff is before their time. But so is it, the movie. So I'm surprised they even know the movie because the movie was made in 1990. And oh, a I, lot of I, these TV shows were late 80s that they came right. from. But, but uh, they know it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if they, if they actually are successful enough to make the second movie, the adult version, what they'll do about the manifestation of it – at the end of it, where they all get together to fight it, because in the book and the miniseries, and neither one of them work, it's a giant eye. That's how it physically manifests itself. It's a giant right, eye. Yeah, it's a no. spider. A spider or a big eye or something that they battle? No, it's a or spider. I've never read it. Not, so. <laughs> no, it's a spider. It's something it. like that. Not anyway, it's, complete, it's, it's completely awful. So I'm wondering yeah. how, the, how they'll remedy that. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, could, it, it seems could be... well for a feature version of The Stand. If if this is successful, and The Dark Tower, which looks uh, promising as well, then we could get the great version of The Stand that uh, people have been wanting. Yeah, uh-huh. it seems That's to true. me that the uh, it seems to me that the success of this movie is kind of a foregone conclusion. I mean, for when when it's going to be released, uh, the fact that it's broken that record that you said. Uh, you know, uh, pe- people are good, and, and the current craze for for uh, horrific clowns uh, is all yeah. uh, uh, is all something that uh, you know. It's just going to add up to like huge huge numbers, so especially for a movie you know of this type. You know, uh, you know these days, I guess. Uh, I hope um, it is. I I don't know where horror is right now, but I mean, it, it was an argument a couple of years ago that. You know, you have good original horror movies. I mean, this is based on a book, but it's original in terms of not being a takeoff on Freddy or Jason or any of that uh-huh. stuff. Um, and people don't go to them. They want to go to the crap instead of instead of supporting the, the original stuff. But I think yeah, like if it looks like it has – if it looks like it has the – imp- a little bit. If it, if it looks like it has the imprimatur of quality on it, they kind of skip it. <laughs> yeah, but I think that might have changed because, I mean, not to an extreme degree, but movies like uh, The Baba Duke Got Notice and Don't Breathe, you know, regardless of the merits of the actual movie, it's not a sequel to Halloween or something. Mm-hmm. And people went to see that. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe. And Adam's even The Witch. Lot. You know, The Witch is yes. very popular in that, in that regard as well. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, 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 uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I just don't want it to, I hope it doesn't turn into something like, you know, Super 8 or something like that. You know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm guarding against. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God. You had to bring up Super 8, didn't you? You had to do that, Dean. Thank, thank you, dear Mr. Treadway, could you I, not bring up Super 8? I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying. But uh, uh, hey, Adam, you're on the you're on the line, buddy. Hang on, Adam's on the oh, line. Shit. Here we go. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> hey, so be- before you start, Adam, I wanted to uh-huh. read read something um, yeah. that I got um, <clears throat> this week. Uh, I got an email from mm-hmm. a, a listener in mm-hmm. uh, the UK. Uh, so I'll read it. it says, dear dear okay. Mr. Tread. 
Dear Mr. Treadway, I hope you don't mind me contacting you. My name is Graham Larson, and I'm writing to you from York. Oh, he's awesome. One. He's a great guy. He's, yeah. he, he's emailed me. He's a good guy. Uh, the old one in England. From some time, I for some time I've been meaning to write to you, and I'm glad I finally am getting around to doing so. I just wanted to say a massive thank you. I'm one of the most many devoted listeners to the Movie Geeks United podcast, and a frequent visitor to filmic, filmic ability. Thank you for mentioning my site. And I just felt compelled to offer some positive feedback. I really enjoy listening to your thoughts and opinions of film. You always come across as knowledgeable, honest, and most of all, personable. Never arrogant or dismissive of other people's thoughts. I have to say most of the time I agree with your assessments and feelings, but not always. However, I've learned so much from your insights and feelings and want to say thank you. You're also very open to films from other countries and have especially been kind to the UK on occasion. For example, your support of Mike Lee. And that's really appreciated as a lifter from over the pond. So I would just want to say I'm very grateful to you and the rest of the movie geeks for keeping me company on my commute to and from work each day. If you aren't sure, if, I aren't, I'm not sure if you have ever received feedback from an appreciative audience. If you do, then here's another one to add to the pile. If not, then I'm very glad I've taken the time to write. I know that Jamie said in a recent podcast there have been discouraging comments left on the Facebook page, so I wanted to set the record straight. If you ever feel, what's the point in doing these reviews and podcasts, then please try to remember you have a fan over here in England who looks forward to hearing you speak about film and looks forward to reading your blog. Isn't that nice? No, oh, that's he's very nice. He's great. Very nicely written. He sent me an email on Twitter mm-hmm. um, a couple of months ago. He's wonderful. I mean, that, that really made my day. Um, yeah, it's, it is really... Just to tell everybody, it is really great to like, you know, hear feedback. I mean, negative feedback is is uh, you know uh, useful sometimes, sometimes not so. But uh, but the positive feedback, there has to be, I, I you know, they're just you know, we don't get paid for this. Uh, we do it because we love it, and uh, and. Um, you know, sometimes I'm struggling to find, as as he pointed out, you know, what is really the point? Well, the real point is that, I, you know, I don't think that any of us can help it. Uh, whether uh, we get paid or not, this, we'd be doing this anyway in some way, shape, or form. And uh, yeah. so, you know, I thank you for uh, for that, Graham. Really made me yeah. feel good. Yeah, it's a Absolutely. good Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, I've gotten a few too over the, uh, especially in the last six months, and it is very gratifying when you uh, when you get something. You know, it's, I've I've had several people that have said, you know, man, we we don't ever uh, we don't ever invest our dollars in a Blu-ray or <laughs> unless we listen to what you have to say, whether it's oh. the upgrade or whatever, and uh, and that's uh, that's nice. It's very nice. <laughs> It is, yeah. Oh, it definitely. Is. I mean, I've I've received, I've received some emails over the years that have meant a lot to me, uh, and from people that like truly listen, like they'll mm-hmm. yeah. they'll like bring up something that I said in passing on an episode in like 2010 or something, and I'm like, did I really say that? I have <laughs> I have no <laughs> recollection. Like there are people out there that really pay attention, 
um, which is uh, greatly appreciated. <clears throat> so yeah. yeah. So thank you all for that sure. support because it's so easy to like be snarky and oh, yeah. uh, leave a snarky comment and then disappear. But uh, I it, think it's really much more difficult like, to to to. Uh, Construct something that's incredibly positive, uh, I guess. You know, uh, yeah. difficult because it, I guess people feel like they don't need to do that if it if it keeps on going. You know, like it's going or whatever, or uh, you know, if it feels like if things are going well, or they might they might feel that it's kind of corny to to write a, a what essentially amounts to kind of a fan letter, but uh, but. But I personally love it. I mean, this letter is going to keep me going for a few months. You know, <laughs> well, yeah. over, uh, well, forward forward me that because on the front page of our website, I have some some of the best kind of quotes from <clears throat> emails that we've received from listeners um, on our front page. So mm-hmm. forward me that email, and I'll I'll put the quote from it on our front page. So okay. he, uh, one right. of our great loyal listeners can be featured on our homepage. Yeah. Oh, by the way, our yeah. website is moviegeeksunited.net. Uh, it's up, uh, and um, I'm still uh, building uh, the Kubrick series website. Um, the major hurdle has been finding the appropriate podcast player and re-uploading like 80 episodes um, because I need a podcast player that I, I – uh, that can't be accessible anywhere else but on our website uh, that uh, will, is foolproof that will definitely play and that can't that you can't share <clears throat> since it's uh, exclusive for people that want to join the Kubrick series. Uh, I, I, I don't want it to be shared. I want it to be exclusive to them. But you can that you can still download from the player. It's very complicated, and I don't understand <laughs> all this coding and stuff, so it's been a process for me but uh our website's up and kubrick, kubrick's being built so and it's almost almost done with on that note adam yeah sounding <laughs> <laughs> like he just woke up from a nap do, <laughs> do you have do you have good stuff for us this time do you do you have some exciting titles to share uh, yeah actually there's some uh some, some pretty <laughs> How convincing was that <laughs> well, well, seriously, I mean, yeah. there, there are a couple that I I really have enjoyed revisiting in the last month, and uh, a couple of them I I could certainly recommend. Uh, a couple of the Warner titles and the Criterions and uh, the Twilight Times they they've all put out uh, some pretty good stuff in March. I'll have to give it to them. Mm. So uh, sometimes you feel like there may be some scraping of the barrel, but this time I felt like they were. They were mixing it up with some more common stuff and then mixing it in some obscure stuff, too. And uh, just, you know, and and I've noticed that I guess the price of what it costs to get a 4K scan done has really come down from what I understand because I've noticed that there's the... the, uh, the quality on some of these transfers is is outstanding. Um, oh. The uh, the Finian's Rainbow, which I just watched that a couple of weeks ago from Warner Archive. It's just uh, that for one, that's not the only one, but that's one. It just really just even though the movie has its problems, uh, it's it's amazing what they're doing to these things uh, with these things. So, well, the four uh, I, the four K is uh, the four K is usually like what like ten dollars more than the regular Blu-ray. 
Yeah, 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 the actual 4K discs, yeah. But they're, they're doing a lot of 4K scans and then putting them on the Blu-ray, you know, although you can't take full advantage of the 4K um, quality until you you have it actually on a 4K disc. But you can certainly see the, uh, the difference with the scans that they're doing. Uh, and Warner Brothers, I, I think Warner Archive must have their own in-house production facility because they're just cranking out these titles. Uh, amazing. It's about, uh, half, Warner, about a half Warner a dozen. Has, half Warner has always been, Adam, Warner has always been really impressive in preserving their history. Like, mm-hmm. what, haven't they? I mean, when you take into consideration the other studios and how careless they've been with their history, haven't haven't Warner Brothers taken a lead in that? Or am I wrong? Yeah, they have. They have. They're very protective, too, because, uh, you know, they didn't farm out any of their titles to you know, like Fox and MGM and UA, they just don't seem to really care about their catalog titles, and that's why Twilight Time and Shout Factory and uh, some of those labels and Olive have been uh, taking some of their product and issuing it because they don't seem to be interested in it. But Warner Brothers definitely seems to be interested in what in their heritage, like you said, and uh, it certainly it certainly comes through. Uh, with what they're doing, although they have re- in the last year uh, been they've been more uh, amenable to giving some of their titles to uh, other li- labels, and uh, Criterion was is one of them. Of course, they started last summer with the In Laws was one of their first, and well, they did Badlands a couple of years ago. Terrence Malick, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I guess that was one of the first ones, and then they've been. Ramping it up with uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller and and some other right. ones, and then this. I wonder how that works. There, so. Yeah, I wonder how that works if it's like a one-time fee. I mean, for lack of better terminology, that they charge, or if there's profit sharing going on in the actual release. I'm not sure about when it comes to Criterion, the the deal they have set up. I know. With Twilight Time, they pretty much just – it's a flat fee that they sign, I think, from what I understand, that they have going with uh, Fox. And uh, they just you – know, Fox controls the MGM UA as well as their own you know titles, and they just uh, – they, they sign a flat fee. And they – a lot of these labels, you know, they're, they're uh, region-locked because if you don't have mm-hmm. a Blu-ray player that plays international – Discs. If you want one of our discs overseas, you'd have to get a you know an international player. But uh, the Twilight Time titles are not region locked, so you could literally play those anywhere all over the world, and they will play. But but some of these, like the Warner Archives, these are all region one, um, and the Criterion's obviously. But Criterion has recently started doing a uh, UK version of their uh, label, which is. That started up last year, and so they they are putting out titles over there that are separate from the ones they're doing in America. So, so that's uh, it's, it's all interesting. Um, I know the Shout and Screen Factory titles are also region locked in uh, North America, Region One. So that's another another thing. But uh, it's 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 interesting. I mean, when you see titles cropping up like. Um, the Lonely Lady with Pia Zadora has been announced for June. <laughs> when, when you see that, you're like, okay, yeah, this is, I mean, it's not the thing that I would have requested, but it's just, it's kind of neat to know it's out there, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to mm-hmm. know that it's out there. So, and it's a cult uh, movie. It's a, it's a it, cult movie, anyway. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> 
And so, anyway, it, it's Does fun, she win? Uh, yeah. Wait a minute. What did Pia Zadora yeah. win? Does she win, like, Best best Newcomer at the Golden Globes? It was Globes Best Newcomer, but it work? wasn't for that movie. It was for a movie called Butterfly that she did with, with uh, oh, yeah. um, yeah. uh, Orson Welles was in it. <laughs> but, uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Which shows how the mighty fall, but uh, 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 yes, so yeah, she won uh, controversially won uh, best newcomer, which is a, a an award that the Golden Globes don't give out anymore, uh, probably because of this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rich, uh, you know, she she was married to a very wealthy man that supposedly you know kind of bought that award for her, but uh, oh. that's. Uh, <clears throat> He is adorous. All right, okay, Adam, what so, do we got? What's our first title? So okay, well we'll jump right into it. Uh from nineteen eighty eight we were talking about Scream and Shout Factory. Well they've opted to issue the uh nineteen eighty eight film directed by Dennis Hopper with Sean Penn, Robert Duvall, Colors. Mm. And this is an unrated cut. Uh it has scenes not released in the theaters as well as uh, additional scenes from the international cut. So that's what makes it kind of unique, and uh, uh, it's I had not I had colors was a blind spot for me. I had never seen it uh, until I got the Blu-ray, and um, looks great. It is an excellent looking. It's uh, director of photography, of course, was uh, Haskell Wexler on that. Mm. Whom, uh, you've interviewed Dean, so of course. Uh, yeah, and uh, of course that alone makes it worth viewing because the cinematography is is great in that Haskell Wexler way. But uh, you know, it's not a, a uh, not a perfect film, but it's it's interesting nonetheless, and uh, it's a nice and slice of late '80s, you know, too as well. So, <laughs> and you got ahead. I mean, you know, Penn and Duvall are are good in it, and yeah. uh, you know, it's got Don an early Don Cheadle role in it, Damon yes. Wayans, uh, and uh, also I have to point out, I really love the. Uh, the title song. Uh, the uh, I don't know if it's played over the titles or over the closing credits, but uh, yeah, it uh, is. the Ice T song. Opening credit. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's a very, very good early, you know, uh, movie rap song. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Hip hop was actually good. I thought when it actually had something to say. So. Yes. <laughs> Something of substance. Well, and it it so, was it was actually it was a movie that really uh, I don't know that it did very well. Maybe it did. I remember seeing it on opening weekend. Mm-hmm. But it it was a movie that was smack dab in the middle of uh, gang violence in L.A. when it was reaching yeah. a real crescendo, mm-hmm. and it and the and Hopper really uh, embedded uh, the film crew in the in the center of that real uh, dynamic. I mean, it, it, it just it, it all just wasn't kind of fictional in stage sets. I mean, they actually went on the streets of L.A. and interacted with a lot of people in these gangs. For, uh, so it, that, is, it is, I mean, certainly yeah. a gang still exists, but it, it is an important kind of um, artifact of Histori- the time. Yeah. yeah, it's like a historical document uh, in some way. Yeah, ways. it is. Very much so. And it, uh, it, it again, we were talking about the transfers, superb transfer uh, they've done just a great job, and and uh, they're they're really doing some excellent work over at uh, Shout Factory with their transfers. They've got a a great thing going on. They're the ones who did the carry and the the thing, you know, last fall, which were just uh, amazing. And this one is right up there with it. So, uh, and it's by the way, one Dave, of their by, by the way, oh, guys, did you did you guys yeah. ever hear 
of where Dennis Hopper lives. Did you, uh, uh, Jerry? Did you ever see uh, Dennis Hopper's house? No, no, no. I never saw Dennis Hopper's house. Where, where did he live? It was the it was the most fascinating thing. He lived in a real crime infested area uh, <laughs> where people well people were getting machine gunned like literally uh, around the corner from his house. And he had all this priceless art because he was an art collector. So he had like Picassos and like really expensive artwork. He essentially lived in a cage and, and it, it, he drove his car into his home and then a, like a steel door would come down. He lived in like a bunker uh, where oh, he felt wow. completely safe. It was the most fascinating thing. <laughs> I mean, it's not oh underground or anything like a, a real bunker, is it? Uh, you know, I don't know how much of it was underground. No, I mean that the, the, the house goes up above level, above ground level. But uh, I mean, he, he might, his his garage itself might have been underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But but he had all these priceless works of art, and and he lived in an impenetrable house. Hmm. That's really that's, interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I I did not know that. That's yeah. It's uh. Well, I I can't remember how many movies he directed after Colors. I don't think there were too many that he actually directed after that one. Um, I mean, I'm just, uh, he did he did the remake of the Last Detail, The Chasers. Wasn't that after? Um, yeah, uh, I think that was. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, certainly. Uh, Certainly, uh, yeah, he did the, the chasers in the hot spot. The hot, oh, the hot that spot was the other was one very I was good. The think hot of. spot, yeah. I actually thought was very well done at the time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, but those we're were he, and, he and Don Johnson. He and Don Johnson mm-hmm. hated each other. On the, on the <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, sure anyway. you know it was like the Battle of the Big Dicks, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but. Uh, and then he did a movie called Chasers, which I don't, uh, you know, I mean, Chasers, I, I, I don't, like you mentioned, I, I don't really remember that, but no, it was just, it was, a, it was a take on the last detail. It was, a, it was a, a variation on the last detail. It was, a, it came and went very quickly. I mean, but it's a female. And then we have, oh, I remember Chasers. I remember Chasers because it had uh, Eric Elena, the Playboy. Right. Yes. It had those big fake boobs mm-hmm. in it. Uh, that's the only thing I remember about that movie. Uh, but uh, and then uh, Richard Linklater has has made his sequel to The Last Detail with Brian Cranston playing the Nicholson part, and that comes out this wow. year. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be something else. So, uh, and strangely, what? strangely enough, uh, uh, Steve Carell in the uh, Randy Quaid part. <laughs> Yeah, I saw I saw a behind the scenes photo of it, and I was I I can't wait to see it. Yeah, that's good. Okay, Adam, sorry. Well, the 1959 film Compulsion has been issued. uh, Orson Welles, of course, Diane Varsity, Dean Stockwell, Bradford Dillman, and uh, you know it was before the O.J. Simpson case called the the crime of the century, the 1924. Slaying of the uh, by Nathan Leopold and Richard mm-hmm. Webb, and uh, anyway, uh, this is the dramatization of it. it's considered to be uh, uh, it's well regarded. You know, Kenny Kino Lorber has issued that, and uh, they've given it a a new transfer. And uh, I didn't get a chance to look at that, but I hear it's if you're a fan of the movie, it's it's worth picking up. 
Um, don't think there's a lot of extras on that one, but uh, but anyway, it's out there. And um, Criterion started off, uh, and we're going back to March 7th, by the way, um, for for uh, is where we're starting here. Uh, 45 years, the uh, Oscar nominee from 2015. Golly, yeah. <laughs> so they're uh, what a great movie that is. I mean, <laughs> wow. Uh, what a great movie! I just rewatched it about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, it still just floors me. Uh, e- I mean, easily, you know, like right up there with uh, Inside Out in two th- two 2015's like pantheon of great movies, yeah. uh, and uh, just just devastating. And Tom Courtenay doesn't get enough uh, credit for the movie either. I, th- I think he's 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 right there with her in in, uh, in terms of uh, quality of performance. Yeah, it's um, I, I know Paramount only issued it. Uh, I think they only put it out on DVD. They did not opt to issue it on Blu-ray initially, and I guess that's why they were holding out for uh, for the Criterion. So. Anyway, so we'll go from 45 years to the buzzing penis film, What Planet Are You From?, starring Gary Shandling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mike Nichols' uh, weirdest movie. (laughs) Right. I I mean, you're kind of a fan of that, aren't you, Jamie? No. I, I, I remember watching that. Uh, I remember watching that opening weekend, and I, I did not laugh once. I like Gary Shandling. Yeah. I, I you know, I remember seeing the description, just reading Roger Ebert's review of it, and him mentioning that mm-hmm. uh, his member buzzes when he's aroused, and I thought, oh, I got to see this. This sounds like my kind it's, of thing. It's a series <laughs> of missed opportunities. I mean, it's right. Linda Ferentino, and it's just like. Yeah, Linda Perrin's here. You got Gary Sandling, You got Ben Kingsley, and it's just like, how can you fuck this up? And they do it. They fuck yeah. it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And Mike Nichols directing, I, I, and just, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know why that happens. I mean, it's one of those things where you know it doesn't work, but if you had to like diagnose why it doesn't work, it, I'm sure it has something to do with the process that we're not privy to. Yeah. Mm. Well, Mill Creek has issued that title, if anybody is interested, or is a Mike Nichols completist or a Gary Shandling completist. Uh, it's it's out there, but I uh, just wanted to mention that. Uh, also, we were talking about Warner's uh, archive stuff. Uh, they issued two titles on that day, uh, March 7th. One is, uh, I mentioned earlier, Finian's Rainbow with uh, Fred Astaire, Petula oh. Clark, Tommy Steele, and Francis Ford Coppola's second um, feature film for well, there's it was a second film for Warner Brothers. I know for a fact because uh, he had just come off of a You're a Big Boy Now, and um, I'd never seen this until I got the, uh, the the copy of it and watched it. And uh, it's it has some good moments in it. It's amazing watching uh, Fred Astaire at age 70 when he shot this film. He's so unbelievably limber, and just those dance sequences oh. are. Pretty amazing when you see a seventy-year-old man moving like he does in this movie. But uh, you know, it's—I I think it was probably dated when the movie came out, and it—it mm-hmm. uh, hasn't aged very well. It's one of the movies that helped kill kill the musical as, yeah, uh, musical. Uh, you know, as a as a viable commodity. Uh, it's. Uh, 
I have never yeah. seen it, but uh, just recently I uh, I had to review for Zeke mm-hmm. film. I had to review the Bandwagon, uh, mm-hmm. which which is which is a very good uh, though though for me kind of problematic Fred Astaire movie from uh, the fifties. And on it, uh, they had every preview. You know, they had twenty twenty Fred Astaire previews. So I looked at the Finian's Rainbow thing. I was like. And it's a blind. This is a blind spot for me in terms of Coppola and everything. Probably for everybody. Um, and I was looking at it. And I was like, man, could they have gotten the worst leads? Worst leads than Patula Clark, who was a was a, a major music star. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, other than uh, I guess she was in the following year. She was in uh, Goodbye, Mr. Chips with uh, right. Uh, with um, uh, Peter O'Toole, but uh, but then Tommy Steele, who is a major music music star, maybe in Britain, I guess. I I don't really know if he had any kind of following here in America, but man, he's got talk about a face for radio. <laughs> oh, oh my God, oh, he's the romantic lead. Oh my God, please. I uh, you know. It's got a score by hey, Adam. Let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Is is Finian's Rainbow to Fred Astaire what uh, Xanadu is to Gene Kelly? <laughs> That's a good question. It's close. It's close. <laughs> it's not quite on that that uh, bottom feeder level, but <laughs> it's pretty close. It's you know, like I said, there are some good things. You know, uh, Coppola's mastery of the camera, of course, and, and there are some nice directorial flourishes from time to time um, when he's not sticking to the play, uh, when he's trying to experiment and do some some interesting things. And I love the opening credit sequence. I'll be honest with you; I thought it was uh, it was quite moving uh, as they are. Mm. It's Fred Astaire and Petula Clark traveling the country, trying to figure out you know where they're going to settle, and they're uh, going from place to place, and it's uh, all this nice outdoor scenic uh, stuff that's underscored by a look to the rainbow. And I found that to be touching and moving. And but then the movie starts, oh. <laughs> and then is it like is it like the most like cornerly Irish like because you know it's like an you know it takes place in Ireland, right? So uh, there's like is he supposed to be playing like a, a is the stand supposed to be playing like a uh, like some kind of uh, leprechaun or something, or is there, is, is that? Well, am I... <laughs> it actually takes place in America, and oh, it does? Uh, I can't remember the the town, but he's stolen a, a, a leprechaun's gold, is what it amounts to. Oh, okay. and so he, yeah, he gets this land, and uh, he he gets a parcel of land and uh, buries the gold, and and that's when his daughter falls in love with one of the the people in the town, and uh, and then. Uh, Keenan Wynn owns all of the land except for the one little parcel that he was given, and he's like the evil businessman that wants to that finds out there's gold buried on the land, and he he's very uh, condescending towards black people, the black people who live in the town, and so the leprechaun turns him <laughs> into a black man at one point. Uh, <laughs> and that's, is that? So that I, mean, so that's this, I, I was wondering where Al. Mm, sorry. What's that? Holy shit. So that businessman is like uh, the equivalent of Robert Evans for Coppola. Yeah. Is it? Oh. 
I, I was, you know, Al Freeman Jr. is in it, who played Elijah. Right. You know, uh, you know the. Um, he was in Malcolm X, and and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and also, uh, um, well, he's most famous for Malcolm X. But um, mm-hmm. uh, so is that where he comes in, or where where? He yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's uh, he's he's hired to. Uh, to, as a care, he needs a job, uh, and so he he's he's hired, he takes a job as the caretaker for Keenan Wynn, who's the, the big rich senator who owns all the land. And like I said, uh, Keenan Wynn gets in contact with the uh, leprechaun who turns him black, and that's supposed to be a you know it's it's ham ham fisted comedy basically. Fisted <laughs> yeah. being the appropriate spin. word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, uh, you know, but the movie is it's filmed in this beautiful widescreen. It's uh Philip Lathrop who, you know, was great cinematographer on a lot of things over the years and he's it's well photographed, but you know, it's just it's it, it's a misfire for sure. And it's way too long. It's 2 hours 25 minutes. It's you know, it's so uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> But I will say this uh, as bonus on the disc, if you're really interested. Well, it has a Francis Ford Coppola introduction before the film, which is, oh, cool. it kind of gives you an overview of where he was at at that point in his life and, and why he chose to do it and working with Fred Astaire. And then there is a commentary uh, throughout the film, and there's a featurette. You remember, you guys remember how they used to do these promotional featurettes in the 60s and 70s? Uh-huh. Well, there's one mm-hmm. on the world premiere of Finian's Rainbow where they actually interview all the stars going in to see the uh, the film for the first time. And Coppola is included. He was like 28 at the time, I think. And so it's interesting to uh, to see all that. So you know, the bonus materials almost make it worth it. And the transfer is gorgeous. I will give you give them that. So. Anyway, uh, you know, mixed bag as far as the film goes. But if you're looking to 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 uh, catch up on the earlier pre-Godfather work of uh, Coppola, there you go. So <laughs> okay, yeah. But another uh, Warner Archive title that I do recommend getting, uh, regardless, is and I know we're, I think we're all fans on this one. I believe we're on the same page as Blake Edwards' S.O.B. Mm, probably. I'll say, and I said it to you when you posted it, I think it's the best movie ever made about yeah. Hollywood. Yes. Mm. I will take it over the yeah, player any it's day. It's one of them. Um, it's one of them, and it looks great. Uh, again, another 4K. Movie. Um, yeah, it is. It's, I love the gag about the guy who dies of a heart attack in the opening of the film, and they just everybody's so self-absorbed that they just keep tripping over the guy's corpse throughout the first hour of the <laughs> yeah, film. Oh, and he's got a dog, you know. The, All right. Oh, that's so sad. But oh. You know what? No one ever yeah. wants to. You know, it's one of Bill Holden's truly great later roles. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, he yeah. is superb. I mean, he you want sure to talk about is, a yeah. commanding performance. I mean, yeah. he's just superb in this. I mean, I know people will say, oh, well, what about the Earthling? No, I'm joking about that. <laughs> but, um, no. but really, let's, let's look at Bill Holden's later career. I mean, we got the Indian Omen 2, we got the Earthling, we got that one with Paul Newman where they're on the island about the, uh, the volcano or whatever, which has everyone and their brother who who's just trying to get actors' equity. When, when time ran out. Yes, when time yeah. ran out. Oh, yeah. I mean, so. But here you actually have from Blake Edwards a very smart, very cynical, incredibly cynical film about mm-hmm. Hollywood that no one even talked about back then, but no one talks about right now. Yeah. And it's an awesome, awesome, funny, funny film. I mean, and I, 
I mean, if you hear a list, uh, let me just list off the people. Just I'm just going through IMDb, not from my memory, but uh, definitely. I mean, uh, Marissa Berenson, Larry Hagman, Robert Loggia, uh, Richard Mulligan, who's fantastic in the movie. Oh, God, so, yes, he is. <laughs> so so yep. good is that he's the director that's going nuts mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. uh kind of spurs all the action. Robert Preston, who is also fantastic in the movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. That's the personal doctor. Uh Loretta Swit who who makes you want to tear your hair out. Robert Vaughn, Robert Weber, uh Shelley Winters, mm-hmm. uh uh Stuart Margolin, Rosanna Arquette, her yep. Rosanna Arquette role. Larry Storch, <laughs> you know, yep, I mean, yep. ah, it's ridiculous. It, it is such a, it is such a joy, and uh, and and what's great about it too is that it's it's such a it's it's such a honest commentary by Blake Edwards on his own, uh, yes, uh, yeah, because uh, because a lot of this is based on his difficulties uh, making what was it, Darling Lily. Darling Lily, yes. I think Which yeah. was another one of those musicals that they that right. killed that killed uh killed musicals and uh um yeah. and uh so uh and uh, and of course controversially it had Julie Andrews, uh who's of course the lead, uh uh, uh giving her uh, one and only um uh, nude shot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, that's right. Uh so <laughs> Oh, we just sold a ton you. of Blu-rays just just there. Also, it's interesting. I want to let you guys know that because he he comes out with a I you know he comes out with a, another movie. No, not Switch. Sorry, guys, I'm not talking about Switch. But he made a movie with Jack Lemmon years later called That's Life, which I thought was very good and mm-hmm. very underappreciated. Mm, um, true. He did manage to make some really, you know, smart. No, I'm not. No, Son of the Pink Panther does not count. Um, but you know, um, he did make some really good movies in the later years of his life, or later years of his career, at least. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I was watching uh, Turner Classic Movies the other day, with, uh, last weekend, when they were doing all Robert Osborne centric uh, stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, it was the show where Alec Baldwin was interviewing Robert Osborne, <clears throat> and they were <clears throat> both going back and forth on their favorite whatever, and the subject was their favorite leading man, and they both said William Holden. Uh, that was their favorite. Hmm. I, I can't argue with that. I mean, wow. Holden must have taken incredible joy at being in this movie, too, because he had mm-hmm. been quite wronged by Hollywood many times and uh so he, he must have really really yeah. loved doing it. <laughs> he probably gave it his all. So And I you know, and I'm watching it also and I was I, I had forgotten how stunningly beautiful um Maris Marissa Berenson was mm-hmm. uh, while oh, I was yeah. watching this. And I I had totally forgotten that and I thought, Wow, she's something else or and still is. She's still uh, attractive for for an older lady, but uh, in this movie especially, it's like wow, mm, something else. So, but yeah, SOB is is great. It still holds up, and and again, uh, another nice transfer from uh, Warner Archive. And I'm just uh, glad that's not a title that you would expect them to have uh, a, a long list of people asking for it. But I'm glad they they chose to put it out, and it's a good thing. And there's a lot, so, lots of rabid Julie Julie Andrews fans. So I mean, oh yeah, that's true. That's true. 
So yes, anyway, Adam, um, unlike Finian's, unlike Finian's Rainbow, it's not a title you think a lot of people are clamoring for. True, true, true. Well, uh, the 1991 horror film Popcorn, um, directed by Alan Ormsby. Uh, and I saw that one in the theater and was not impressed when it came out, and I have not revisited it since then. But uh, that's uh, you know Alan Ormsby, the guy who was involved with some of those early Bob Clark horror films. He directed yeah. this one. And uh, so anyway, for any horror completists, that one is also available. Uh, and that one came out on the 7th, and we'll move on to March 14th now. And the 1984, uh, you guys are talking of Stephen King earlier. How about Firestarter? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wait for this to come. They reboot this one. Oh, God. <laughs> Which they probably will. <laughs> they should. They should. They should redo it because it's yeah, not a good movie. <laughs> yeah. I agree. It's agreed. not a they good should. movie. It's a bloody re- – all right, never mind. Bloody wretched, but yeah. I mean – this was it's just so that... you know the the most awkward part of it is um, George C. Scott playing the Indian assassin. <laughs> yeah, and, and and the fact that they that they kind of intimate that he's a pedophile, and yet they can't be overt with that. Uh huh. They don't commit yeah. one way or another. It's very kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, and, and what's up with that eye patch that it appears and then reappears and, and it's gone, it's there, but there's no explanation as to why. I always thought that was strange. And uh, like, I've, you know, I mean, it's been a really long time since I've seen it, so I, I totally forgot about that. I haven't seen it since 1984. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, God, I forgot about that. That's. That's I, I, I my prime my prime memory of it is just some of the definitely George C. Scott is like that's that's the worst, but some of those special effects you know some of the you know fiery special effects are just are, are yeah. terrible. The practical not, effects, you know. It's not the movie that Mark L. Lester will be remembered for. Let's just put <laughs> it that way. <laughs> and yet he's 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 out front. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's on the Blu-ray. Uh, oh yeah, in the yeah, extras. Yeah. I mean, he talks about it a lot. He talks about that in Commando. He's, you know, he's yeah. active on Facebook too. But he's doing all mm-hmm. these anniversary uh, observances for both of those movies. Yeah, he he was involved with uh, Shout Factory a couple of years ago when they did uh, Class of 1984, which I am a fan of. Oh. That. Now I'm gonna, I'll cop to that one. And that's uh, probably that's, the movie he will be remembered for. Right. He should yeah. be because that's a very enjoyable movie. I mean, for what it is, mm-hmm. it's it's extremely extremely. It is, and of course, it's it's a little bit similar to Massacre at Central High in some ways. Uh, different, of course, but but it has so some is similar... Heather's for that matter. I mean, right, right, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. But uh, it's a very very enjoyable movie, I think. But uh, but yeah, so well, Firestarter Fire Firestarter also has the Tangerine Dream uh, True. score. True. That uh, yeah, I, I mean that, that that's very popular. That's very popular as well. Mhm. Yeah, and it's uh it, the the thing about Firestarter was that was the first production that Dino De Laurentiis filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, in my home state, and he was so taken by it that he uh, set up uh, the um, the studios down there. 
which are still yeah. used to this day. Uh, he sold them out, uh, sold them off after he had a couple of megaton bombs with Taipan and Million Dollar Mystery and King Kong Lives killed his mm. business, but he sold it off and it did pretty well and still does to a certain degree. I think so. Yeah, he looked he looked around uh, North Carolina and thought, "This is where we must shoot Dune." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> True. That was a, that was a, that was another one, and that and Maximum Overdrive. You know, those are all. That, they all. Uh, oh no, Maximum Overdrive. That's the, yeah. that's the movie that I got to interview uh, Stephen King in connection with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, that's the one where the guy got his. Uh, I think a, a cinematographer, an assistant uh, DP, got his eye put out. Uh, and sued the production, uh, so yeah, he lost an eye in it because he was uh, shooting too close. I, to ironically, a blade like the, and, yeah. the the audiences that went to see Maximum Overdrive uh, were begging to have their eyes taken out too. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of ironic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, moving so we'll on. We'll move on to the next title. Yeah, the 1976 film Kanoa, A Shameful Memory, uh, has been issued by Criterion. This is a uh, one that I'm not really all that familiar with, but it's uh, based neither. on a real-life incident that uh, supposedly occurred just eight years before its release about a group of urban university employees on a hiking trip who were viciously attacked by residents of the village of San Miguel de Canoa. Uh, so they had been um, uh, manipulated by a, uh, a corrupt priest into believing the travelers were communist revolutionaries. So this is an interesting uh, synopsis for a premise for a film, so I, I'm curious about that this, one. But uh, is this a doc or is this a? No, it's a it's a dramatization of this event. Uh, Kanoa, mm. a shameful memory, but uh, from '76. Wow. Uh, but that's that's a Criterion uh, release. And uh, I uh, anyway, here here's two for you. I can't wait to hear what you guys think about these. How about the bitch and the stud? <laughs> I was offered to the opportunity to review these two movies for yeah. Zeke Film because we we uh, that's one of the uh, Kino Lorber is one of the outfits that that you know yep. uh, cooperates yep. with us, and uh, um, you know we have a coterie of of writers, and uh, mm-hmm. so all the all the DB, you know Kino Lorber offerings are put up at the beginning of the month to to uh, for offering nobody. <laughs> Nobody wanted to review either the bitch or the stud. I, I nobody even wanted to do it, have it for free, you know. So, and uh, I, I've never seen the movies, but I, I, it's one of those movies, the two movies that I just absolutely know. <laughs> now, is 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 Joan Collins in both? Yeah, I think yeah. she is. Yeah, she yeah. is. Interestingly enough, well, this is kind of interesting. Of course, there are new transfers here, but uh, uh, Nick Redman, who owns Twilight, he's the guy who runs Twilight Time. He also, uh, if you recall, was the guy who did the, uh, I think he won the Oscar for the documentary on the Wild Bunch. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, a history yeah. montage. Well, he didn't win, but they were nominated. Oh, he's nominated. That's right, yeah. That's yeah, right. And, so, uh, and the Wild Bunch and album and montage. Which was, an they should have won. Yeah, he should have won. But yeah, he he uh, he he's very uh, been instrumental in. Uh, he used to uh, be involved with uh, the uh, Film Score Monthly, where they would put out these film scores, and mm. he supervised a lot of those releases. And then he uh, did his own uh, 
uh, opened his own company, which has uh, started his own company, Twilight Time, and so he runs that. And so he, interestingly enough, he provides the commentaries for both of these, which is uh, he and uh, David DelVal. Uh, so, and they usually only do commentaries for Twilight Time products, so they've... <laughs> Boy, I have to call him out as being somebody who's a real hero. For uh, I didn't know that background with him doing the film, the film score uh, thing. But uh, oh yeah, but, that's him, uh, the same guy. That coupled with you know his filmmaking and and uh, then Twilight Time, which is for my money the uh, the probably the best uh, the best uh, you know outfit out there. You know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they're the most tasteful outfit out there. They're really, really trying to get the good stuff to you, to us, and uh, you got to give them credit for that. And I got to say, I ordered the only thing that I've ever ordered from that film score thing was my uh, Wild Bunch uh, soundtrack, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, astounding. So. Oh, and I did get taking for taking a Pelham one two three from them too, the David Shire. Oh yeah, that's uh, but, yeah they were great. They, they he also was involved with Marie Sarabond when they had their uh, releases that they would put out in stores. He did a lot of those too, I think. So uh, really, God, yeah. cause that was another incredible outfit yeah. too. Whoa. <laughs> so. Yeah, he's he's very he's very very uh, he's one of those unsung heroes of. Uh, of film. So when he, when he started Twilight Time, I knew it was going to be something special. When I heard that he was starting a Blu-ray outfit, I said, "Yeah, this is this is going to be good." And it, and it has proven to be. That's why, if you notice on all the Twilight Time releases, he always isolates every film score on every release. So you get the Ooh. film score in addition. You get to, the soundtrack. <laughs> right. So you, it's terrific. like getting two. Yeah, two things for the price of one. Because you get the film with a brand new transfer, and then you get his. You know the isolation of the of the actual score, and you know that nothing is being left out. Like unlike some of these releases that we've bought, these soundtracks, you know, where they opt to to leave the stuff out. They, everything's there intact. So uh, mm. nice. So that's yeah. why that's a little background on for who he is and. What, but anyway, he contributed uh, commentary for the bitch and the the stud. And uh, n- another Kino release would be the skull. With uh, this is uh, Peter Cushing, <laughs> and it's one I've heard of for years and years, but I've never actually seen it. Christopher mm. Lee also, yeah. So uh, and Kino was busy. They had uh, the Lovers on the Bridge was another one of their releases that uh, that same week or that same day, which uh, is a 1990 film that uh, I was quite unfamiliar with, to be honest. Uh, I like but, uh, it. It's uh yeah. it's the Juliet Binoche thing, right? That's yeah, yeah, I knew she was in it, but I wasn't really familiar with it until they opted to release it, so uh, uh yeah, it's good. Uh mm-hmm. uh Juliet Binoche and uh uh Daniel Atiel, I think. Or, or Dennis mm-hmm. Levant, sorry. That's Dennis right. Levant. That's right. It's mm-hmm. a Leo Carax movie. Uh mm-hmm. uh so, you know, Dennis Levant who kind of made more of a splash with uh, with uh, Holy Motors a few uh, years ago, uh, where he played numerous roles in that. Uh, it's good. It's uh, it's 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 weird, uh, but uh, it, it is emotional. So, and and you can't uh, discount anything with uh, you know, '90s era Juliet Binoche. She's like as about as delectable as a 
little bonbon there. <laughs> so sweet. Yeah. Well, Adam, uh, Adam, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, yeah. Because we were talking about Warner Brothers earlier. I have mm-hmm. a request. You have, you have pull with these people. Uh, I want... <laughs> I want a definitive Blu-ray of Cobra. I mean, can we get that? <laughs> I, I, I know it's I know it's out there, but I don't mm-hmm. want like a bare bones. I want something with like all the works thrown in. Mm. That's an and, idea. And it's not like there there's not a <laughs> there's not a market for that either. I mean, come on, it's a popular. I'm popular. Sure that, yeah. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's. It's it might be something worth. Uh, might have to shoot him an email and say, "Have you ever thought about this?" <laughs> Not that I've got all the pull in the world, but yeah. You know, I've never been it. passionate enough to start a letter writing campaign throughout yeah. the entire history of the show, but I, I just might do it for Cobra, <laughs> like a petition. Well, do you want the is... soundtrack to be isolated? Do you want it to have an isolated soundtrack? <laughs> I, I want I want John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band commentary over the closing credits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is bad. <laughs> See to it, Adam. That's all I'm saying. Well, See to it. Hit up those folks at Warner's. I'll have to put that on my to-do list. Uh, yeah, but well, I'll tell you one thing about Warner talking about them. Uh, you know, the the one film that they will not release stateside uh, is The Devils. Of course, Ken Russell's The Devils, even though the restoration work has been done. And it's been sitting there for um, at least a decade uh, because they were going to issue it, and then they, well, you oh. know, it's the content. They they uh, they, they feel like it's just going to offend so many people. Uh, the the full uncut version, which, like I said, they brought in the um, surviving actors, and they even had some people uh, redub the lines to make them, you know, more audible. And uh, and BFI put out a UK version of the Devils. Uh, as close to an uncut version as, as you're probably going to get, and uh, but they were told they could not release it on Blu-ray, only DVD uh, by Warner Brothers. So it's it's a weird situation. But the point I'm getting at is that uh, Shutter is now streaming it. Uh, That's right what I was going to bring up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a big uh, that was a big sort of controversial thing that that happened uh, this past week. Yeah. Was that mm-hmm. was that that uh, showed up on Shutter. <laughs> Uh, and, yeah. and, but but I I understood that there were some people who say oh it's fake or whatever uh, is it is it real that they it's 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 real but it's it, it's still missing the crucial final scene with uh, Oliver Re- well uh, with Vanessa Redgrave um, shall I say pleasuring herself to the the uh, shin bone of Oliver Reed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And uh that's but that's very uh and very important to the rest of the film. It it kind of gives you that the punchline so to speak to what's gone before. Uh-huh. And there's also, you know, the sequence they call it the uh the rape of Christ sequence that's uh where those the, the nuns just go crazy and they they're uh because they're so sexually um, frustrated, and then they, you know, Oliver Reed's character is kind of tempting them, and then they just go crazy. And there's a whole sequence where they are, are in the church, uh, just you know, kind of like mass psychosis or whatever. And and so anyway, that scene was cut. I, I have a version that has both of them intact, but uh, 
both of those scenes were trimmed trimmed out of the uh, shutter version that's running, I think. But okay. I think we, well, then that makes we it move past <laughs> yeah. the, the point of time where this shit is considered too dangerous to release. I mean, if, I in, in reality, don't you think if they actually released it, then there would be, like, no reaction whatsoever, and they'd be like, well, what were we so <laughs> yeah, concerned yeah. about? Because only um, only the real rabid movie fans are going to watch it, and they understand. They're going to yeah. you know understand. I mean, but we we're in a world where we have you know three three uh, uh, human centipede movies. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't there, get it. That is a good point. So, I mean, <laughs> really yeah. probably one of the best points I've ever heard. Um, it's true, and and the Devils is based on a true story. I mean, it is it is a true documented case. Uh, you know, it's not something that Ken Russell was making up. It really happened. So, uh, you know, anyway, but I digress. But uh, anyway, so, well, we'll move along to another Kino release, The Man Who Could Cheat Death with Christopher Lee. Another one. I like um, that they're doing all these, you know, Chris, Christopher Lee. Are, are all these Hammer movies? Uh, uh, I mean, couple of, The Skull I think, and... I believe the skull is, and I believe the man who could cheat death also. I believe if it's a hammer movie, there's a market for it. And yep. It needs to be out there. So, and there's a market for the drive-in massacre, of course, as well. My <laughs> Severin Films has released this from 1976. I tried to watch it because I have a. Uh, I tried to watch once the drive, drive-in massacre because I watch anything uh-huh. that, that has drive-in in the title, yeah. including the movie Drive-in. Drive-in. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, 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 and I couldn't watch it because it, it just looks so amateurish and so yeah. it looks like it's like shot on eight millimeter <laughs> or something. And, <laughs> Uh, and then I have, uh, believe it or not, I have a movie poster for it. I have a one sheet for it, and it's probably one of the worst one sheets ever. <laughs> I mean, just wow. Google it and look at it. It's just, mm. it's just the worst. But uh, you know, did you watch it? No, I didn't get a copy of that one. That's one I did not. <laughs> okay. uh, but uh, uh, its its reputation precedes it, though. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but. Speaking of Twilight Time, we'll go ahead and go through their uh, product for the month of March, and they issued Baby Boom with, uh, mm. you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, Diane Keaton, Harold <laughs> Ramis as her boyfriend in the film. <laughs> Don't forget that. So, That's uh, a pretty insufferable movie. Mm, well, it was, a big, re- it was did, a big rebound for uh, Diane Keaton, though. It was. And it was yeah. a popular movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then there. Uh, I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, that was a yeah. Yeah, she she had had a couple of lean years before that, I believe. Charles uh, Shire and Nancy Myers. Right. Yeah, one of their. Well, you either warm up to them and the kind of films they do, or you don't. So yeah. that's about the best advice I can give you. That's so, it. Uh, and you know what it is. Uh, how it was, was it? Was like it, it was like a version of uh, Working Girl without uh, all that sex appeal and uh, humor. Uh, so it was, uh, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> those two worthless yeah. qualities. Yeah. So that's true. Well, uh, how to succeed in business without really trying with Robert Morse and featuring uh, choreography by Bob Fosse. So, yeah. Uh, that's uh, and this actually has a featurette uh, with Michelle Lee 
reflecting on the film, and uh, Robert Morse uh, also in another featurette. So, and there's a isolated music track, of course. So, if you're a fan of how to succeed in business without really trying, well, there you go. And then there's and a supporting uh, role way, for. Uh, <laughs> I have to mention that it has a supporting role for Rudy Valley. Who's a, uh, True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was pretty famous in the twenties? <laughs> maybe, maybe mm-hmm. not so now, but, but uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Robert Morris doing uh, reprising his stage role, which I think he yeah. probably won a Tony for. Uh, and uh, you know, I mean, I think I, I I have a one sheet for this too, by the way. But uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I've never watched it. But uh, if I were to watch it, it would only be for, because of my interest for, for Bob Fosse. Yeah, yeah. By by the way, Adam, Suppose- uh, in in that Cobra letter that you write, um, also. <laughs> oh God! Oh my God! <laughs> We're still go. on this. <laughs> also, add in add in Star Eighty, because you've yeah. got. Um, oh yes. Obvious, oh, yes. Obviously, Cabaret has been done to the hilt. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lenny was done by what Twilight Time. Um, right. All, all that jazz, jazz Criterion. Criterion. Yeah. yeah. You you need a definitive Star Eighty out there. You know, yeah. I don't yeah. know why it hasn't happened yet. Actually, I did mention that we got into a discussion the other day. Somebody had uh, was commenting on something I'd posted, and and I think it was the Finian's Rainbow, maybe or something. And I said, "Yeah, let's hope that." And I tagged them. Warner Archive will uh, will get busy on Star Eighty or something like that. So I I don't know okay. that it made any difference, but uh, but <laughs> I, yeah. It, it definitely needs to be uh, rectified. I agree. Is, uh, is Star Eighty kind of in that pantheon of like movies that that they might be afraid to like put out because people people might you know they they're afraid people might lose their shit over it or something? Is, is I mean, am, am I wrong there? <laughs> they, they they're afraid of it. See, I, I think sure. I think people of a certain generation love that movie. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, so too. yeah. And so I think if you release it, you'll probably sell more than your average kind of disposable. And and I know that they made it available. I think they did anyway. At one time, as one of those kind of disposable made-to-order things. Yeah, but they it was did. bare bones they, with with just right. the trailer on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they they've issued it twice. They did do a proper uh, release of it in the early days of the DVD format, unfortunately, and that's the one I have. It is only full screen, uh, which sucks, of course. And and so and of course, you know, the it's photographed wonderfully by Sven Nickvist, you know, and so you're missing all the great compositions that he worked so hard to achieve for that movie. And and, but then they did do the one you're talking about, the um, the 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 Warner Archive uh, DVD to order, which did which did put it out in, in widescreen, but it's just, the transfer is not good. It's just not a you know, so it definitely needs to be. Um, yeah, because I remember I, I remember somehow I got a chance to see that, and I thought, man, it looks dirty and spotty. And yeah, it does. It's not good. It's yeah. They need to do that, and the and the. Uh, the clean and sober is another one that needs a good uh, widescreen transfer. Oh God! Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Adam, you're speaking my language, man. You got this, this, I knew this, this was good. This letter, this letter is getting longer and longer. Oh God! Oh God! Okay. Yeah. Well, I just I I always think of clean and sober because they put it out at about the same time, and it was that you know same thing. 
and I was screaming when I saw it. I remember buying them, but it's like, why did you do this? And so why did you not put these out in widescreen? So uh, oh, you I have two it, great movies. Ah, oh, they're so such great movies. Yeah, and especially sure. with I mean, with Michael Keaton's career, uh, you know, another career that's rebounded as it has in recent mm-hmm. years. Uh, you know, a defining dramatic work for Michael Keaton. Yeah, uh, they true. need they need to spend some time on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But uh, well, we'll go finish up with these Twilight Times real quick. Our Man in Havana, uh, directed, produced and directed by Carol Reed and screenplay by Graham Greene. And so, uh, it was shot in Havana just two months after the fall of, of the Batista regime with the full permission of Fidel Castro, which makes it kind of interesting. And it has Alec Guinness and Burl Ives and Maureen O'Hara. So Ernie Kovacs, too, in a, uh, mm. a big screen. Wow. Role. So. Um, Anyway, there's another one, and uh, of course it has the isolated track, the music track, and the trailer. And uh, Peyton Place uh, is another Twilight Time release. Uh, that's another one that they uh, they opted to put out, and uh, that it they did a great restoration on that. By the way, it looks great. Uh, you know, it's a very corny film, but uh, still, you know, it's fun in a soap opera type way. And uh, I still think uh, that Peyton Place is, you know, uh, you know. Uh, movie that you know sort of has relevance i mm-hmm. mean particularly uh you know uh the actors in it you know are, are very mm-hmm. good you know hope lang uh it, in that <laughs> year by the way it had three best supporting actress nominees which is <laughs> which how rare is that to have yeah three true, true. three from the same movie but uh uh, in uh, I think Hope Lang, Diane Barcy, and uh, and uh, Terry Moore, but um, mm-hmm. but uh, you know I I I would say that uh, you know Hope Lang uh, was also in another small town movie called Blue Velvet. Yep, and yep. I think that Blue Velvet is kind of David Lynch's response to something like Peyton Place, or <laughs> or. Even even a uh, uh, you know a, a summer place you know too um, great point uh, yeah so uh, you know it, it might be interesting it's also written by the same guy that wrote Rear Window so uh, John Michael Hayes so uh, and it's it's beautiful to look at so it, I I would not discount that movie. Yeah, it's uh, well. If you're a fan of it, I mean, they've done great job with some of the extras because there's a commentary with filmmaker historian Willard Carroll. It's commentary with Terry Moore and Russ Tamblin, and there's a um, on location where they go back to the locations with uh, the Willard Carroll audio commentary, and then there's the uh, Fox movie tone newsreels from the time, which is interesting. And then you have the uh, the original trailers. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, some good extras there. And, uh, I mean, when you look at, just to go back to my com- comparison mm-hmm. with Blue Velvet, when you go to IMDb, which I'm going to, uh, the uh, you know, the description for Peyton Place is, a peaceful New England town hides secrets and scandals. Well, that just says it all right there, you know? Yeah. That says it all, so. It's true. It's true. But, uh, well, uh, there's a couple of more uh, Warner Archives titles I want to mention right quick. Uh, Valley of Guanji with uh, the oh. Harry Housen from 1969. That's fantastic. And, uh, 
I mean, that's yeah. one of James Franciscus. He doesn't get credit enough credit for that movie, but that's one of James <laughs> Franciscus. You think I'm joking? That's not no, I agree. Movie. I agree it's with you. It's a really you. good I, movie. Yeah, it is. It, it is a really good movie. I mean, I I personally believe that it, uh, I hold that as one of my favorite Ray Harryhausen movies because uh, because of the fact. Well, I mean, you know, cowboys and and dinosaurs. I mean, that says yeah, it all. I mean, it's really quite entertaining. It still holds up, I think, actually rather well. Um, it does, mm-hmm. and you know what? It it, it evokes. Uh, it's one of the few movies of, uh, of that type that does that sort of King Kong thing of evoking sort of sympathy for the dinosaur, for the monster, you know? (laughs) There's there's a certain quality to that that's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and I just just love seeing, you know, uh, seeing Harryhausen's work in in that particular world, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, Grecian or uh, European or whatever you want to say, world of you know the other Harryhausen movies. Mm-hmm. Let we'll me just let it. me let me see this though. Going to James Franciscus though, you know this film and Beneath the Planet of the Apes do not get mentioned in his official obituary. Um, like that they ran on the wires back when he died. They only the show about the blind lawyer. That's it. We don't get these. We get the show about the blind lawyers. What do you think? I mean, who gives a shit about that show? We bring in the Valley of the Jumanji and Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Goddamn, who cares about that show? <laughs> that that's true. That's true. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm actually being rather serious because, I mean, I mean, what else do we have? We have Grey Lady Down. I realize that with it, where, where everybody's in that movie. But I mean, I mean, come on, give it, throw the guys some bones. I mean. And let me just say this about uh, Guanji, you know, uh, it uh, it has a fantastic score by a, a very neglected uh, a composer, Jerome Maross, who uh, whose work is uh, is unfortunately, you know, kind of forgotten these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, he 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 really kind of deserves kind of a place in the pantheon along with you know. John Williams and and uh, and, and Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, some some of his stuff, particularly for this and and for a movie called The Big Country. Uh, oh yes, that's uh, a score. The William great Wyler score. movie. Uh, I've got uh, that the, soundtrack. Yeah, but the Guanji soundtrack too, which is one of his last. Uh, if uh, I think it's his last soundtrack for the big screen. Uh, is is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he's he's really you know that's another reason to to get that movie. But it, oh you know. yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have if Jamie, if you have the soundtrack of Tentacles, you should have the Valley of the Joanzi. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, if you have one, I don't you know. Have if, the I, other. I I haven't I haven't seen that. I I have the Big Country, but I haven't seen that that Valley of the Joanzi available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a. Uh... There is a, a, a documentary on the disc also called uh, Return to the Valley with uh, Harryhausen uh, recounting the making of the film. So, uh, I know, have to this movie now. Now you've sold me, I, Adam. I have, to get it. I, have, I have to get it, too. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to get this shit. No question. Well, I will tell you, it looks great. It's another one of the Warner archives that they've that they've done the 4K restoration on, and it, I mean, it's a brand new transfer. I'm talking like 2017 transfer, and it does look great. It's never looked this good. So, uh, you know, if you're a fan, I'd say it's a must-have. As is this next Warner title, 
which is uh, Demon Seed, Julie Christie. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, yeah. oh my God. I mean, yeah, and that's, you know, on paper, it sounds like a ridiculous premise. You Because, you, re- you know, you read the premise, it's like, oh, a computer impregnates a woman. Ha, you know, that's never going to work. And then you watch the film, and it's like, God, this is so compelling. This is so well done. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, oh, I it's hate very good. I hate uh, Fritz Weaver as the as you know the husband or whatever the scientist yeah. that creates the creates the thing. Uh, I, I, you know, when you start watching it, you're like kind of impatient with it and everything. Right, yeah. I watched it the other night, uh, and, but uh, but but when it finally gets going with Julie Christie being uh, trapped by this uh, mm-hmm. thing, and uh, who is it that does the voice of the robot? Is it somebody oh, like Robert Vaughn? Robert Vaughn. Robert Vaughn, right. Robert Vaughn's yeah. greatest Proteus. role, probably. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe. Proteus. I mean. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, no, you, you got to love it. you got to love it. And and also, uh, one of the few movies done by Donald Camel, right, that, uh, uh, you know, who, who committed suicide uh, quite yes. early. It, uh, you know, he, he had a very difficult career. Um, but uh, I guess it's, he's most famous for for doing uh, directing performance, the uh, the uh, Mick Jagger, uh, Edward Fox movie, or is it James Fox? I, like, I love that movie. I love yeah. that. That's a great movie. I tell my mom about that a couple of weeks ago. It's just, that's an awesome movie. It is. So, yeah, but yeah, uh, I'm sober saying that, but yeah, it's an awesome <laughs> movie. Yeah, he he. I know we talked about his suicide, Donald Camel. Suicide. I know there was something strange about it, but I can't remember what we. It's been a while uh, because he committed suicide by shotgun, but he did it in such a way that it was. I forget what it was, what the story was, but it was very that, that it wasn't that it wasn't in, an instantaneous death. Or right, something, that's that it what was, it was. Yeah, I can't. It remember. was. It was we, something. You know, it was. It was a. It, it, maybe he had different thoughts at, at the pulling of the trigger or something, but. Yeah, this is a really good movie, though, guys. I mean, this is a really well-made movie. Um, I love this movie. It's part of that, uh, you know, the MGM, uh, who originally released the movie, seemed like in the 70s to always be trying, you know, after the success of 2001 for them, it always seemed like they were trying to do more sci-fi uh that they thought would appeal to people and and uh you know so uh you know there's not only this but there's you know Logan's Run and uh, mm-hmm. a few a few other sci-fi movies uh from the 70s that that uh uh you know seem like they're of a part of each other kind of yeah um, so yeah well, we'll 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 move along uh, to a t- another title that I don't think is going to uh, stand up in the same pantheon as Valley of Gonji and Demon Seed, and that's the 1984 version of Red Dawn. <laughs> uh, I know that people love it, but uh, I'm not into. Oh wait, wait! Compared to the new one, it's goddamn Citizen Kane. I mean, geez, Adam. Oh no, 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 Adam! This movie, no, this movie is like. I mean, there are people, you know, I didn't even think twice about this movie until I guess in the late 90s I read that, that people in the militia movement, like, swear by this movie. Yeah. Oh. But it's not, a, it's not, you know, when I go back and look at it, 
something to sort of, you know, I got to give Milius props. No, it's not. It's not a good movie. It's like, I mean, my God, Nicaragua is going to invade us. Really? Oh my God, are you serious? So, you, so the, really? The, one of the funniest uh, conversations I had <clears throat> was with the cinematographer of Cobra, Rick Waite, who was also the cinematographer of Red Dawn. And so he's he's telling these stories about uh, Milius. And uh, he loved Milius. Uh, he said, yes, he was a hard ass and all that kind of stuff, but he loved him, as opposed to George C- Cosmatis on Cobra, who he called uh, George Comatose. But he was telling me about uh, he was telling me about Milius, and he said they were all out there in the woods waiting to shoot in freezing cold night weather, mm. chilled to the bone, while Milius was in his trailer banging some model. Uh, <laughs> I love John Williams. I love John. I, I love John. So every time I think of Red Dot, I think of that story. Mm-hmm. I think of that trailer yeah. now. I think of that trailer. Yeah. That oh my god! Movie. Now that is great that you mentioned the trailer because I was just thinking of it when I first saw that trailer uh, back in '84 or whatever, uh, um, uh, early '84. I thought that's going to be fantastic. It really looked like a freaking great movie. Mm-hmm. And my main memory of Red Dawn is actually going to the uh, screening and going, oh, I was so fooled by that trailer. That yeah. trailer was that. I mean, you know, despite this cast, you know, you know, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. <laughs> you know, yeah. Johnny, if you think about the cast scene, the cast is just incredible. Not at the, but of what, you know, that they would go on. Everyone from that movie would yeah. go on to mm-hmm. do great things. No, the movie itself is, you know, it's almost like, you know, I, look, I love John Millius and everything, but it's almost like John Millius' life. It's like he... And you can tell, like, when he was writing this, he was like, oh, yeah, we got to do this, this, and this. And it's like when you show up, it's like for the test, you know, it's like um, we can only do this, this, and this. That's true. That's what it feels like. It's, John, yeah, it's John Millius's teen movies were so popular in the 80s. Red Dawn is his version of a teen movie. And yeah. You can, under, yep. you can understand why teenagers loved it because it's about them transitioning into adults by by saving the world, by saving sure. the country. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I do need to say something, though. I think the film, you know, the beginning of the, the very beginning of the film with the history teacher lecturing like Genghis Khan and everything, mm. you get this feeling like, yeah, this is everything that John Milius is like really history and all mm-hmm. the stuff that he's really just known for, you know, watch Conan, The Wind and the Lion have you. And it's like that opening is so cool. And then you get to the movie, it's like, yeah, you're right. It's just the teen save the world movie. But I gotta it's say, it's the that, opening that's the best part of it. And yeah. that's exactly why that's exactly why the opening really features prominently in the in the trailer. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. with all those you know parachutes coming down and them looking out the windows to see them all. That, that was just stunning. But uh, you know, I mean. You know, given the cast, you know, see Thomas Howell, Charlie Sheen, Leah Thompson, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and then the, you know, uh, veterans like Ben Johnson and Harry Dean Stanton and, and Ron O'Neill is the villain. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Powers yeah. Booth, yeah. And Powers, Powers Booth. Powers Booth is well. a great little performance for Powers Booth. I mean, he does yeah. save the middle of the movie. I won't he, lie Yeah, to he's a bright spot in it. So, but, yeah, interesting movie. By the way, it, Adam, it, it, here, here, here's a thought. You, you guys just brought up uh, – I'll see Thomas Howell. 
Uh, has Shout Factory or Scream Factory, have they done like a definitive version of the original Hitcher? Because that seems right up their alley. Um, no, they haven't. Uh, there are a lot of requests uh, that they've had. I, I know this because I heard the guy from uh, Scream Factory talking about it. Uh, he he said they've had, but uh, what it is is it's controlled by Warner Brothers because it it was uh, released um, oh, okay. by HBO Pictures or one of the, the HBO mm-hmm. you know when they had their theatrical arm or whatever, and so Warner Brothers has the rights to the Hitcher and they're not letting anybody do anything with it. So yeah, yeah, that definitely needs. That explains that. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be up to them to to do it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I was watching Red Dawn again. You know, I hadn't seen it in like thirty years, and of course, you know, another thing to note is it's the first <clears throat> PG thirteen movie ever. Yeah, you know, uh, right. Wow. That's another like. Uh, that's a great yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, it was, and uh, and so there was that. But I'm watching it, and it, it is strange to watch Ron O'Neill, who we previously knew as uh, Superfly. As a Russian in this film, and yeah, that's a little bit that, hard to take. That, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why did they do that? <laughs> it doesn't. It well, was, I, I, my, my son I, and I were watching it together, and he had seen the remake, not had not seen the original. I said, and I explained to him who Ron O'Neill was, and he thought that was hysterical, uh, which it is. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I was watching the movie back then, going, "Why is Ron O'Neill in this?" Yeah. There's Superfly. He's a Russian in this one, though. <laughs> what? But uh, a black Russian, anyway. I guess. All right, it makes no sense. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's kind of a Gonzo anyway. move uh, right there. But uh, anyway, so some other films that were uh, released on. Uh, well, we're moving up to the 21st, actually, uh, March um, the 21st. And here's a couple of titles that came out that day. Being there is a Criterion release. We mentioned that earlier, but it's really. If you're a fan of being there, this is the definitive uh, version to have because it has tons of – there's a new documentary made exclusive for this one, uh, this issue um, that Criterion put together. Uh, there's, of course, outtakes that, that we haven't seen before. Uh, there's alternate ending. There's um, Alternate uh, ending? Now, what is yeah, that? Well, it's a different ending where they 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 skip. They just go to straight credits and uh, they skip oh, right. the outtakes. Yeah. You know, at the end. That uh, would be well, that that would be the preferred ending. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah. I always I always think, even though I enjoy watching it, I always think, why did why did he why did Hal Ashby make the decision to put these outtakes over the credits? I, I don't I know. I, and I it's, and I can't even recall now. If that's how I first saw it, which you know, of course, being there is a great movie. You got to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and uh, and by the way, one of my favorite things about being there is the fantastic job that uh, 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 Pablo Ferro did. Oh yeah, uh, the the great credits designer. Mm-hmm. He designed credits for you know Doctor Strangelove and Stop Making Sense and so many other movies. Uh, he's the guy that's responsible for choosing all of the uh, all of the um, uh, uh, television pieces that we see in the movie. Because mm-hmm. you know, television is very important in the movie, and it is. And yeah. those are very, very uh, carefully selected uh, pieces of uh, television that are used in that film. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, boy, what a great movie! 
But uh, sure yeah. he is. It's, yeah, a, it's it an amazing movie in that it's it's a it's an amazing kind of amalgamation of a movie that is both gentle and biting at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and those yep. and those, those are that's a hard kind of uh, recipe to get right. Those tones. Yeah. And of course, you know, you don't have to mention Peter Sellers, you know. But I will mention Peter Sellers. I mean it is it is, you know, if I mean, outside of Strange Love, his greatest performance and and of course his last great performance, uh, uh although not his last. No uh, but um we won't mention the last one. Should we mention it? The finished <laughs> plot of Doctor Mufu Manchu, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but just had to get it out there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why not? But, uh, but uh, yeah, being there is essential, and, and yeah. so essential for our time. True. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. more prescient now than ever. And um, this is, uh, you know, it, it, you're talking about Peter Sellers. It has uh, appearances from 1980 by Peter Sellers on the Today Show and on the Don Lane Show, which were taped uh, just like three months before he passed, which is really, really kind of weird just watching him there. And it's like, man, that that guy was gone in just a couple of months after that. It just doesn't – it's hard to get your mind around that, you know. But uh, He still wrecks his life in my life as like one of the – one of those most shocking celebrity deaths, like that, really like stopped yeah, me in yeah. my tracks. Like, like when I was a kid, I was just mm-hmm. stopped. I mean, just like uh, you know, and I, I would rank, you know, Jim Henson. Like, you know, <laughs> that was True. another one. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah agree. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that. I, I would yeah. love to see those. So that's another one. Yeah. Yeah, it's worth having. It really is. And again, another 4K transfer, uh, supervised by Caleb Deschanel. So uh, this is this is not something that they just slapped onto a disc. They actually had Caleb Deschanel come in and supervise the entire 4K um, uh, restoration. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so it's a it's a pretty big deal if you're a fan of being there. Uh, another criterion that got a release that uh, has a 4K restoration, though I'm not sure it warranted it, but they gave it one anyway, is John Waters' Multiple Maniacs. Mm. <laughs> Which would have been better just uh, doing like an amateur uh, an uh-huh. amateur transfer, you know, from 16 millimeter. On the- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really weird. It's very, um, I don't even know how to articulate the experience of watching it. Uh, because I put it up on my projector and you know I'm watching it and it's a pristine looking disc, uh, not a speckle or anything. And I mean they retained enough grain in it to make it look film like, so mm-hmm. it, it does have a film like quality. But the soundtrack is you know when the songs come on they're they're just they're they're blasting out in, in 5.1 sound and uh, you know and then and then the dialogue is you know it's. It doesn't have any of that that hiss that you would expect, or any of that the out external noise, and it's it's just it's cleaned up, but it still has all those you know zoom, overuse of the zoom lens that was so prevalent in those early John Waters films. Yeah, uh, it's so it's still amateurishly made, but the amateurish look of the prints, uh, or or the battered look of the prints, I guess you'd say, is 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 gone. So it's a weird experience watching it. So uh, yeah, but 
but it's uh, a long you know, way away from. I mean, you know, it's funny that John Waters really stole that stuff. You know, I and mean, I'm talking yeah. about the 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 soundtrack because he would have the soundtrack of, of not only that movie but also you know on up to uh, Pink Flamingos, which would be a few mm-hmm. years later. Those were all had soundtracks that were peppered with things that would have cost him mil- well I mean even back then would have <laughs> probably you couldn't have got bought, bought them back then but yeah. if the if the movie was made today it would have cost him millions of dollars to get the, the rights to those movies uh to those yeah. songs so uh uh you know it's 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 crazy how <laughs> how how yeah. upside down it all is, but it is, it is. And he said that uh, that you'll we'll never see a video, a Blu-ray release or a video release of uh, of Mondo Trasho just because he couldn't get the um, the uh, the rights to the songs are so cost prohibitive. You know, so mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Uh, so, but uh, as far as the quality of Multiple Maniacs is for you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's just you can tell it's an early John Waters effort. It's, it's not, not my favorite. No, it's not. It's not. It's it doesn't. Uh, there's no female trouble. No, it's no female trouble, and it's uh, it's not polyester either. I'm a huge polyester fan, and it's not that none mm. far away from being being that polished. So, and we won't anyway. even mention hairspray. Oh, I know. Yeah, true, true. But uh, anyway, so moving right along, Wonton Ton, the dog who saved Hollywood. <laughs> oh, I I do remember this. Holy shit! Okay. Oh. <laughs> this is the craziest. Wait, so yeah. this is available for Blu-ray, DVD, or eight-track? I mean, what is it? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you. You know, the movie, the plot of the film, it, it's not you know a very good plot for a film or any of that. It's just kind of <coughs> generic. But it is a blast to watch this Blu-ray, or it was for me anyway, to see. All of these blink and you miss it cameos by so many people from Hollywood's golden age that were just—it's amazing. There's, I think I, I think I looked it up and there were like 65 appearances by yeah. people in this film. And I mean, there's everybody from the Ritz brothers to Milton Berle to Phil Silvers to Joan Blondell. Uh, just uh, uh, really, I mean, really, just, you need to go to the IMDb to, to right, and if you, you if you're a movie if you're a movie fan uh, who knows about who these people are or whatever, and you look at who's in this movie, amazing, amazing. It is just it. it how did they do it? And how did they do it with this product? I know with, it, it is with, it is so impressive. Um, I, it's you know, just. It is just uh, astounding. It is, I mean, you, uh, you know, Bruce Dern, Mylon Khan, Terry Garr. Okay, those are the seventies things. But then you got, uh, you know, uh, Virginia Mayo, Henny Youngman, Billy Barty. I mean, everybody. Ricardo Montalban, uh, Andy Devine, Broderick Crawford, Dorothy L'Amour. Uh, uh, Gloria DeHaven, uh, Johnny Weissmuller, George Jessel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes on and on and on. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Rudy Valley also, you mentioned him earlier. Well, he's in it too, as is uh, William Demarest, Uncle Charlie from My Three Sons. So, of course. You know, and, and you can go on and, like you said, Stephen Zsa Gabor, the late Zsa Gabor. I know, know yeah. But Stephen Fetchett's in there. And uh, I, I was surprised they didn't use Step and Fetch its real name, but I guess it's because you know. Yeah. Anyway, 
but uh, yeah, so it's it's something. I mean, like I said, plot wise, for the quality of the actual film, it's not nothing to write home about. But uh, but this is uh, if you're a film fan and a real uh, fan of Hollywood's golden age, this is this is something to really see. I'm telling you, it really is. Yeah, I I, I want to watch it. I want to watch it because I have to I'll be honest. I've never seen a frame of it. Yeah. But I want to watch it. I I have to see this. Yeah, it's pretty. I had seen it when it came out. I, I saw it. Uh, I think when network TV ran it in pro- probably around seventy seven, seventy eight, and that was the last time I had seen it. And so I, until I got the olive Blu Ray, and then uh, so you know I wasn't sure what to expect. But I, when I when I popped it in, it was it put a nice little smile on my face just from seeing all those people. The by the way, it's directed by Michael Winner, who's most yeah, famous yeah, for yeah. Death Wish. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So there's 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 a there's one that that might be worth looking up and seeking out. And uh, and then RoboCop two and three came out from Shout Factory. I don't know what we want to say about those. Hard. Uh, yeah, All so I'll say that. about that is I think RoboCop three was filmed in Atlanta. I think that's the one that was filmed here in, yeah. in my town. And and I even have a friend who was like a uh, – had a speaking role in it as a cop. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll, just say, I'll just say two quick things about it. Uh, for those that haven't, listen to our Nancy Allen interview during the De Palma mm-hmm. tribute. Yeah. She talks about RoboCop Great stuff. 2 yeah. and 3. And uh, secondly, um, artificial uh, police officers, uh, they're working on that. I mean, that's technology that the robotic police officers, they're mm-hmm. actually working on. Mm. Yeah. Ready to put so, more people out of work. <laughs> well, it's, uh, well, they're... They're uh, they're out there for anybody who's a RoboCop completist, and uh, so Lifeboat, the uh, 1944 uh, Alfred Hitchcock Kino has done a 4K restoration on that. That's out there, as is the Invisible Ghost from 1941 with Bela Lugosi. Uh, so those have been issued, and we'll uh, move on to the last day of the month, March 28th, which was last uh, or. Yeah, I guess that was last Tuesday, yeah. Uh, And you have um, Michelangelo Antonioni's Blow Up from Criterion. It's been long out of print. Warner Brothers Brothers had issued it years ago, long out of print, but now back in print with a new transfer. Uh, Now let me say something about the Blow Up thing. Let me just say something. Uh, Jeffrey Wells over at uh, uh, Hollywood Elsewhere, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a site I love, um, he considers himself to be like a, um, he's kind of ass, but he considers himself <laughs> to be a, uh, a, um, expert on like, uh, things dealing with the ratio as- aspects of movies. And he had a big complaint in that, that <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the aspect ratios. Uh, so he, yeah. He had a big complaint that that movie actually doesn't conform to the original aspect ratio. It's like they made it into 185 when it's really 166. Hmm. So it cuts off a lot of the uh, headroom that uh, Antonio Antonioni put on, you know, the, the shots. And uh, and I thought I, I thought that that seems impossible 
uh, with this with Criterion, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he was, like he was he was he was he spent the past few months, you know, kind of imploring Criterion to really look at at, at uh, you know at what they're doing, and uh, mm-hmm. and apparently Criterion, does, as great as Criterion is, no question about it, no question about it. But mm-hmm. uh, apparently, sometimes they do get some things wrong. And, yeah, nobody's uh, perfect. I mean, you know. Is it? But is this something? Have you watched it? Did you? Did you get it? Did you? No, that's one I didn't get. Uh, and it's it's odd with Criterion. I know never know exactly what titles I'm gonna get or or how many or how few, and it's just I never know. So uh, uh, that was one of the ones they opted. I don't know if they were running short on review copies, uh, but that's one I have not had time to look at. But although I probably will just pick one up when they have the flash sale because I uh, it's a good movie and it's worth having. So, it's not uh, only a good movie; it's one of the great movies. No, yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, is, it, is, it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I stand corrected. The, you're right. It is one of the greats. The great. Yeah, it is. So, uh, but I will uh, mention a few uh, other things here. This one certainly is worth mentioning. Um, Scorpion releasing has, and they do limited releases, uh, limited quantities. I think they run about fifteen hundred copies of their uh, product. And they are issuing uh, St. Jack, the uh, Peter Bogdanovich film. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, cool. Ben, yeah, Ben Gazzara. And this has a lot of extras. Like I said, only 1,500 of these. I want to uh, stress that because when they're gone, they are gone. And uh, this is audio commentary with Peter Bogdanovich, on-camera interview with Peter Bogdanovich, a brand-new on-camera interview with uh, Roger Corman. There's reversible cover art. Um, and there's uh, Memories of St. Jack, which includes interviews with cast and crew members and the Singapore locations of St. Jack. So if you're a fan of the Bogdanovich film St. Jack, this is, a, um, of course, new transfer as well. So uh, this is something that kind of slipped under the radar for me, uh, and I'm going to have to get this one. So I, I mean, that, that's a great movie, too. I it mean, is. It, it really is. Yeah. It, if you're... Um, uh, if your connection to Bogdanovich is only through his seventies movie, you know through through the earlier seventies movies mm-hmm. that are very uh, that are very reverential towards American yes. film of the past, uh, you will see that this is his attempt uh, a successful attempt to really connect with the present. <laughs> his, yeah. his pre- his, you know uh, the seventies. Uh, and uh, it is uh, fantastic, and one of the, uh, you know, maybe Ben Gazzara's greatest moment. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I it, mean, it, it's uh, it's good stuff. It really Very is. Good stuff. So uh, yeah, there's that, and and uh, well, Scream Factory did uh, what's the matter with Helen? Um, they issued that uh, one of those early '70s horror films with. Uh, in this case, it's Debbie Reynolds and Shelley Winters trying it's not to. Bad. Uh, yeah, it's it's not bad. It's decent. It's decent. It's kind of then, a it's kind of a play on uh, on the whole uh, you know elderly ladies horror thing with mm-hmm. that was started with uh, you know whatever happened to Baby Jane. So there, there's 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 something to be mm-hmm. said for it. I remember seeing have- it as a kid and uh, and. Uh, um, and uh, finding it memorable. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long time. I've seen it too, and and I didn't think it was. Uh, it's it's not bad. It's de- it's it's decent. Uh, but I'll leave you guys with one more, and uh, this one also issued last Tuesday, and that is Warner Archives' release of World Without End, uh, which is billed as Cinemascope's first science fiction thriller. And starred Hugh Marlowe, Nelson Lee, Rod Taylor, and Christopher Dark. Wow. So, uh, that's uh, one that's I don't one. know. So and directed by Ed Burns, not uh Burn not B U R N S, B E R N D S. Yeah, I didn't think it was that Ed Burns. The guy who made all the Three Stooges shorts, basically. Okay. All right. Not Ed Cookie Burns. No, not that one either. No, not that one. Not to be and not the Ed Burns that we all know from right. the yeah, indie like world. But. And they're all spelled differently. But, uh, yeah. So many Ed Burns. Yeah, it is. What it's are we going to do with all these Ed Burns? So. 